Good morning, church. How are y'all doing this morning? My name is Jonathan Mitchell. I'm the student minister here at New Branch, and uh, it's a joy to be able to proclaim God's word to you this morning. Uh, we're going to be in Psalm 119, 33 through 40 this morning, so if you have your Bible, please go ahead and turn there. And as you do so, I want to reflect uh, on a little bit of my testimony and how I came to faith in Christ. Um, as I went through my high school years and my, my college years, uh, I lived a life that uh, didn't have very many boundaries, um, and, and in fact, didn't really desire to have any boundaries in my life as well. Uh, I lived uh, the party life uh, in my college years at Clemson University, and uh, I was having the, the time of my life, uh, or so I thought. Uh, the, the party scene brought me temporary satisfaction in that moment, I, I, I enjoyed it, and, uh, and, and it, was, it was fun. However, there were many uh, long-term ramifications from uh, those, those times that I was living in sin as well. And thankfully, God saved me uh, on a Thursday night, October the 6th, 2011, uh, at an FCA worship gathering in Tillman Hall at Clemson University. Uh, that night, I uh, heard the gospel clearly, and uh, God saved me that night. And it was in those times, those, those weeks uh, and those months after that, that God began to, to really do a ton of work on me, changing my heart, softening my heart, growing my desire for the Word and, and to pray and to experience God. And I began to, to really read and dig into the Scriptures and, and see my need for community. And it was in this time as well that I started to, to really see how deep and how dark and how lifeless the sin that I was living in was. I remember many times just uh, after I became a Christian, uh, I, I still fell into a lot of the same sins I was living in prior to becoming a Christian. And it was in those times that I was so deeply convicted of my sin. And I remember many times... Uh, laying on my bed in my apartment and just weeping and just crying over the fact that I was sinning and rebelling against the holy God of the universe. And I felt, I've never felt more empty in my life than in those moments. I felt lifeless. And although now I know that there is, there is true life in God's word, uh, I know that there's true joy in living in accordance to God's word. There are still times that even now that I struggle uh, to believe that. And I'm sure that many of you uh, that are here this morning and are believers as well find that same battle as well. It is still hard to find true joy and true life in Christ. There are so many things in our world that try to distract us and, and pull us away and say, hey, you can find life, you can find joy over here. And so we battle that day in and day out. And so as we begin our time, I, I want to ask you to consider what are the people, uh, the possessions, the sins, the idols, the things of this world that, lead, that are competing with finding true life in God? What are those things in your life that try to pull you away from finding true joy and satisfaction in God? Because that is where true joy in life is found, and in Him alone. Now, perhaps you're here this morning, and uh, you are not a Christian. You are not uh, a follower of Jesus Christ. Well, to you, I would just I would humbly ask you to to be open to the idea that that the 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 boundaries that we see, the commands that we see in God's Word, are not are not intended to uh, hinder us from having a joy-filled life. Rather, they are there to multiply our joy-filled life. And so we can have this perception that, that the things of this world are going to bring about the greatest joy. And on the surface, that's true. On the surface, in the moment, that is true. However, deep, true, joy-filled life is found in living out God's Word. And so I, I, I would humbly ask you to be open to that truth, that reality, to consider and to hear me out uh, as I go through this text. So in order to explore this, 
Uh, we're going to be in Psalm 119, 33 through 40. So please follow along in your Bibles with me as I read God's Word. Teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, and I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. Lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts and your righteousness. Give me life. Would you please pray with me, church? Lord, we um, are thankful that we are gathered together to get today to hear from you, to hear from your word. I pray that you would prepare our hearts, that you would open up our ears and our, and our minds to receive the truth of your word. Lord, would you plant the truth of your word deep into our hearts? Would you change our lives as a result of your word? Would we respond rightly to your word this morning? Would you give us faith to believe that there is true joy-filled life in following your word? For those in this room who do not know you at this time, Lord, I pray that they would be open to considering the fact that following you is what brings about the greatest joy. Lord, and not the things of this world. So God, would you work in their hearts this morning? We pray that you would be glorified through this time. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. The main point that we see in this passage is that true joy-filled life is found in learning and living God's Word. True joy-filled life is found in learning and living God's Word. And under that main point, I've got three responses to the Word that I think that we see in this passage. And the first of those being that we are to learn, understand, and obey the Scriptures. Learn, understand, and obey the Word. If one is to realize that that true joy-filled life is found in living God's word, then one must first learn this, to to learn, understand, and obey the scriptures. And as we kind of get started here, I want to to, uh, acknowledge that whenever I use the word word, uh, I'm referring to the scriptures, uh, to to the Bible, and uh, there's really seven different words that we see here in this passage that uh, mean word, or the Bible, or the scriptures. That's statutes, law, commandments, testimonies, ways, rules, and precepts. All of those words are ultimately a reference to the scriptures, to the word. So I will, as I go throughout the sermon, I'm going to be using the word, and, and uh, that's, that's, what, that's how we'll go uh, about that this morning. So the first thing in verse 33, teach me, teach me your statutes. This is the first cry of the psalmist. He's asking God to teach him the word. And as followers of Christ, we are called to be learners. That's a part of what a disciple is, a learner, a follower. And we need God to to work in our hearts, to teach us his word. And God also uses many other instruments uh, to teach us his word as well. And and, uh, throughout the scriptures or Jesus' ministry, we see that Jesus taught his disciples he taught them uh, how, how they were to live by just his example of his life. Uh, he taught him, them in Matthew chapter 6 how to pray. He taught them how the Old Testament pointed forward to him and how he was the fulfillment of the scriptures and that he was where true life was found. In a similar way, we ought to be learning from others as well. We are called to, uh, to make disciples who make disciples. And so we're all uh, to, to follow in Jesus' command there. And so we need to to hear the preaching of God's Word on Sundays mornings. We need to be a part of the men's and women's studies in our church uh, that are are going on. Many of them are coming up here in the fall. Uh, We need to be a part of things like base group, where we can really talk about the Scriptures in community, uh, where we can learn from one another and and each other's experiences and how, uh, how God is working in our own lives. We need other people to help us in that. Uh, we need to, to learn sound doctrine, yet we also need to learn how to live out the, the scriptures. And so li- being in an environment like a base group or a men's study is uh, where we can talk about our own experiences 
is, is an amazing way to learn God's Word. I know so many times that uh, I'm in base group or in, in a small group study or different things, and I, I just am able to learn from, from others as, as they share how God has worked in their lives and the experiences they have, um, how they've fought different things in their lives, different sins or uh, different struggles. And, uh, and I learned so much, and also just from observing how, how families, uh, how parents interact with, with their spouse, uh, with their kids, and with others, I, I learned so much just being in community with other brothers and sisters. And further, we are, so we're, we're called to learn from others, but we are also called to, to study the Word ourselves, to learn ourselves as well. And so we should be, calling, we're, we're, we should be studying the Scriptures on our own as well. Oftentimes, uh, we find ourselves really uh, being lazy and maybe not desiring to grow in our knowledge of the Word. And perhaps on the other side of that is, is maybe some pride, uh, where, man, I already got all this down. I don't need to study this anymore. But the reality is that learning is a lifelong process. It is to be done throughout the ent- entirety of our lives. It doesn't stop when we get to a certain point. Uh, I graduated from seminary this past May, and, uh, and I, could, I could just kind of kick back and say, okay, well, I've got my degree, check. I don't need to learn anything else. But the way that I should see that is a foundation for me to continue to build off of for the rest of my life, because learning is a lifelong process. No matter how old we are, experienced we are, how, how successful we are, how much knowledge we have, or how, how well-known we are, we are still called to learn and to grow each and every day for the rest of our lives. Now, if you are at the point where you think, man, I, I've got this down, I've got this sin down, I've got this doctrine down, I've got all these things down, and I know for sure I'm right, and I don't really need to learn anything else, then I, then I would encourage you to, to, to ask the Lord to, to humble your heart and humble your, your mind and just saying, hey, I there's things that I still need to learn. There's things that I still need to continue to grow, and I I don't have it all together. Perhaps ask your spouse or a base group member or a close friend and to ask them, hey, what are, brother, sister, uh, what are the things that you see in my life that, man, I need to continue to learn in? What are the the ways that I need to continue to grow? Because I guarantee you that there is some area of your life, uh, there's areas in my life that I know that I need to continue to grow. I need God's grace in my life and brothers and sisters in my life to point those things out to me. Or perhaps you're in a season where you're kind of complacent, where you think, I, I don't really desire to just continue to learn. I, I, know, I, don't, I know I don't know everything. I know, that I, need, I know that I need to grow, but I don't really want to grow. I don't really want to pursue God. I don't want to learn. Well, I would, I would encourage you to, to beg God to increase your desire to know him, to grow in, his, in, in faith in him, and share this with somebody else who can encourage you and pray for you and challenge you and hold you accountable to that, perhaps somebody in your base group. So the first, verse 33, teach me your statutes. We are to be lifelong learners. We never have it all together. And, and I pray that for those of you who are complacent or, or maybe lazy at a point where you don't want to grow, then I would encourage you to, to beg God to increase your desire to grow. So teach me your statutes. Teach me your statutes, the Lord. And then verse 34, it says, give me understanding. And so as we seek to continue to grow in our knowledge of the scriptures and learn the scriptures, we want to really understand what the word says. We, as we study in our base group and as we, you lead your family and worship, or as you listen to preaching, uh, or uh, as you uh, read the scriptures on your own, ask the Lord to give you understanding. Ask for the Holy Spirit to illuminate your mind, to understand what the truths are saying. We want to learn them, and we want to understand them. And ultimately, we want to obey them. We, we, we learn and we understand so that ultimately we can obey. Verse 34 says, that I may, that I may keep your law. So teach me, O Lord, the way of your statutes, that I will keep it to the end. Give me understanding that I may keep your law and observe it with my whole heart. And so it's not just learning and understanding truths, all these theological truths and having all this head knowledge, but it is an application of the scriptures as well. Parents, if you were uh, to tell your child 
Hey, uh, little Johnny, I, I don't want you, you, you do not need to be disrespectful to me whenever I, I ask you to do something, or in, in general. And you wouldn't be happy with just them sitting there, listening, nodding their head, yep, mom, dad, I understand, I understand, and I, I know I don't need to be disrespectful. Yes, sir, yes, ma'am. And then five minutes later, what do they do? Disrespectful. You would not be happy with that, right? You, you expect them to, to listen to understand, to nod along and say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, but then actually to obey it. You wouldn't be happy with them if they just continue to live in disrespect for you and for your spouse. That would not be okay. You expect them to listen and also to obey. And that's the same, a similar idea that, that we see here in this text. We're, we're called to learn the scriptures, to understand them, but also to apply them to our lives. So may we be a people who desire to learn the word and also to understand it and to apply it. So what are some areas in your life that, that God may be convicting you in at, at this time? As you listen, as you hear this, what are some areas in your life that maybe you need to, to grow in your knowledge of uh, God and his word? And maybe what are some areas in your life where you need to obey the word? This could be an area maybe where you spent hours upon hours and you study widely on this topic, and, and you have a whole bunch of knowledge about it, but, but perhaps you don't really live out that truth. So what, what is something like that for you? Because just living out the top, just knowing about a topic, it is not the end goal. It's, it's also to apply that principle to your life as well. Or maybe you could be struggling with something that you don't have a whole lot of knowledge about. And maybe you need to grow in your knowledge about that topic and then seek to apply it to your life as well. And so we're called to learn, understand, and obey the word. That's the first response we should have to this passage. The second is to delight in the word. Delight in God's word. That is the second response we see here. And so true joy uh, filled life is found in learning and living God's word. Then, of course, a part of that is delighting in God's word, treasuring God's word. Let's read verses 35, 36, and 40. Verse 35, lead me in the path of your commandments, for I delight in it. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Verse 40, behold, I longed for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. So to delight is to have great pleasure, to be overjoyed by something, or to be greatly pleased by something. I know that we have a lot of our kids in the service today because it's a fifth Sunday. Kids, how many of you love ice cream? I think we all love ice cream. Whenever I was a kid, I loved it. Whenever I was out in the neighborhood playing with my friends and I heard the ice cream truck music in the neighborhood. How many of you love that? I know, I know kids, you probably are all adults too. Um, yeah. Um, uh, we were at the beach a couple weeks ago. My wife, you know, we heard the ice cream truck. My wife, you know, went, you know, went a little crazy about like a kid as well. It was, it was funny. And uh, we all get excited about the ice cream truck coming into our neighborhood. And, and you know, and we hear that music. And what do we do? We run. We run inside and we say, Mom, Dad, can I have $2 so I can get some ice cream? And sometimes they say no. Sometimes they say, yeah, you can. And, uh, and so that brings you great delight. You're overjoyed when you hear that music. You're outside playing you know, football with your friends or whatever you do with your friends outside, and you hear that music, you're like, run inside. I need to get, I need to get money. I need to get, so I can get some ice cream. This is the, in a much greater way, this is the way that we are to delight in God. We are to be overjoyed uh, by God and his word. Psalm 37, 4 says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. So when you delight in God, he will, get, he will give you the desires for, him, for God himself. So as you delight in God, you'll see more and more how amazing he, he is, and you will want his ways more and more in your life. And as a result of that, the desires of your heart will be for what God has in, in his word. What God, what God reveals about himself in the scriptures. And so how, how could we do this? How could we delight in God's word? 
Now, I'm going to provide a few, about five tools maybe that can help us to delight in the Word. But as, before I do that, I want to be clear that these are not just like a perfect system where you just do these things and boom, I'm, I'm delighting in God's Word. I'm overjoyed by God's Word. But I think that these are things that are helpful to grow our heart's desire for the Word. There are days whenever I use even some of these tools and, and, uh, and, and I don't delight in God's Word. I don't really enjoy it. I don't really love it. Uh, but then there's some days when it's very sweet and precious time with God and His Word and great delight and great joy. And uh, a lot of times these, uh, these suggestions help me in that. And so uh, my prayer is that these suggestions would help uh, stoke the fire in your heart uh, to, to love God more and more. So number one, read and meditate. Of course, if we're going to delight in God's Word, we have to actually read the Word. And so we, we read the scriptures, and we, we meditate on the scriptures. So it's not just a reading and, you know, take three seconds to, to read through the passage, um, but it's, it's taking time to meditate on the scriptures. So asking questions about the, the scripture that you're reading through. Uh, one resource that I use regularly is um, uh, the seven errors of Bible reading. Uh, it says, what does the passage say? What did the passage mean to its original audience? What does it say about God? What does it say about man? Uh, what does it demand of me? How does it change the way I relate to other people? And how does it prompt me to pray to God? Uh, these seven questions help me as I direct my time and help me to meditate on the text. And um, if, you, if you'd like more information about that, I'd be glad to, to tell you about that. There's a book and some helpful resources on that. So, so there's other methods as well, just with questions about how you meditate on the scriptures. It helps you to think deeper on what the Bible is saying. We can identify key words as well. What are the key words that I see in this passage that, 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 that I need to really focus in? What does this word mean? Um, and what does this word mean for my life? How does it challenge me uh, to live my life? And so those are just a couple of ways to, to read and to meditate. Uh, so take time to read through the scriptures and ask questions about the text. Number two, uh, study the Word using other resources. So this could be commentaries, this could be systematic theology books, uh, this could be a concordance, um, looking at different uh, passages that relate to that passage that you're studying. These, these resources can be helpful. Uh, now, I will say, you know, we shouldn't just jump into these resources without digging into the Word ourselves. Uh, we need to, to, to really wrestle with the text on our own before we go to these other resources and, and try and uh, learn and grow as well in, in that way. But these are helpful books. These are helpful resources that can help uh, give you a deeper understanding uh, for what the text is saying. Thirdly, pray the Word. Uh, pray that God would open up your eyes to the beauty of the Word. Pray that the Holy Spirit would, would move in you and illuminate your mind as you study the Scriptures. We need God to open up our eyes so that we could behold His wondrous works and His Word. And so we, we ought to pray the Word. And then also, we, we pray that God would help us to, to apply that Scripture to our life as well. We need God's grace to apply it to our life. Number four, study the Word in community. We can learn from Christians from the past. We can learn from, from people uh, in our base groups, in our church family, and other believers as well that are, that are alive today. Uh, we need other people uh, to share their experiences with us, the, the way that God is teaching them and convicting them. And that challenges us. That spurs us on. I was talking to a brother this past uh, couple, week or two, and uh, he was just sharing how he— uh, he, he just needs base group so much and how he loves it when, uh, when, when he goes there and when he can be challenged and encouraged um, just by the other people in the group. And we need that. We need that uh, to, to really grow our desire for God and his word as well. We need other people to challenge us in that. Number five, live in joyful obedience to the word. So again, uh, as we saw in our first point, we're to, to learn, to understand, and we're to obey the word. And so uh, in order to really delight in the word, we ultimately need to obey the word. We ultimately need to live out what the scriptures say. And this is not a begrudging obedience. This is not, uh, I, you know, I know I need to do this. I'm just going to do it. It's a joyful obedience. So again, going back to the example, parents, with your, with your kids, um, you tell them, hey, I don't want you to be disrespectful to me. Um, and then they they say, okay, well, I'm, I won't be disrespectful to you, but I'm going to do it with, a, with an unhappy heart. I'm going to do it begrudgingly. 
That, that, again, that's, that's something that's not okay either. You want them to do, you want them to, you want them to listen, you want them to understand, you want them to obey, but you want them to do it with a glad heart and, and glad uh, submission to what you want them to do, right? That you don't want them to do this begrudgingly. And in a similar way, this is how we are called to live out the word. Now, again, this is going to be imperfect. We're not always going to gladly submit to God's word, but this should be our heart. This should be our desire to gladly and joyfully live out the word. So hopefully those are a few helpful tools to to delight in God's word. Again, those aren't a fix-all system, but hopefully those suggestions may help uh, help you as you study the scriptures and uh, seek to delight in the Bible. So how how can you grow in your delight in, in the scriptures? How can you do that? What are some of those tools that maybe you think, man, I need to really apply that to my life? Uh, what, are, what are some uh, ways that, that you can increase your delight in the Bible? And what are the competing delights in your life? Uh, what are the other things that seek to, to draw you away from delighting in God himself? What are the competing desires? What are the idols in your life that, that sway you from delighting in God's word? So consider that as you seek to delight in God's word. So we're called to learn, live, uh, learn, understand, and obey the word. We're called to delight in the word. And thirdly, we are called to realize the eternal value of the word. To realize the eternal value of the word. And I'm going to break this down into two different um, parts. Uh, The first is that there are temporal things in this world that compete for our uh, desire for God and to realize the eternal significance of the word. And then the second thing is the fact that the, the, the word, it reveals eternal life. It is where we see where eternal life is revealed. And so that's how we'll break this down. I'm going to read verses 36 through 40 for us. Incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Confirm to your servant your promise that you may be feared. Turn away the reproach that I dread, for your rules are good. Behold, I long for your precepts, and your righteousness give me life. So the first thing I want to look at is the two competing desires with the word. The first one is selfish gain. That's seen in verse 36. Selfish gain. This could also reveal, uh, mean covetousness. This could be a desire for more than you need. It could be uh, a longing to have something that somebody else has, to be jealous of what other people have and desire that more than anything. Selfish gain can manifest itself in, in a variety of different ways, but I think maybe specifically for, for our context, for America, uh, I think one of, the, one of those main ways that this manifests itself is in possessions. The love of possessions is, is one of these things that really compete with our desire for God. Uh, the love of possessions. Turn in your Bible to Luke chapter 12, 13 through 21. You can hold your hand in, uh, in, in Psalm 119. But Luke chapter 12, I'm going to read a parable of the rich fool here. In verses 13 through 21, uh, to give us a, a biblical example uh, of Jesus teaching on the love of possessions. Luke chapter 12, verse 13 through 21. Please follow along with me. Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, Man, who made me a judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, Fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. 
So in this parable, Jesus rebukes this rich fool for desiring more and more possessions, even more so than God. This man had so many crops that he said, I just need to tear down these small barns. I need to big, build bigger ones. He didn't even really consider, how might I use this money uh, in order to glorify God? How might I use this money to help somebody else in need? Maybe there's other people in need who need food. He didn't, he didn't consider any of that. Instead, he had this selfish desire, this desire to, to eat, drink, and be merry, to kick back his feet and to relax. He didn't think about how he could honor God with his possessions. He loved his possessions more than God. And the love of possessions is something that is extremely easy for people like me and people like you in America to fall into. There are so many uh, things that we could, we could you know, so much money that we have and, um, and possessions out there that we desire and we want. We have all these, these marketing ads, these commercials, um, things that we read on Facebook and Instagram, all the ads that come up uh, as we go to Amazon, you know, things you might also want to purchase, all these things, and, we, and, we, and it's all screaming, you need this, you need this, you need this, you need, oh, you, need to, you bought this? Well, you also need to buy this. Um, you need this product. And it's so easy for us to, to fall into that. I, that. I need that possession. I need that. I fall into that. Every time um, a, a new iPhone comes out, we think, man, I, I got to get the new iPhone. I've, had, I've only had this phone for a year, but man, I, this new one came out. I got to get it. I got to have that latest technology. And maybe, maybe there are reasons that you do need it for work or, or for whatever. But, you know, we, we, we're never satisfied. The point is we're never satisfied with what we have been provided already. And we want that next thing. We want that next thing. We want that possession. We want that, that greater possession. And we have an appetite for, uh, for possessions that just grow hungrier, hungrier and hungrier as time goes on and we're, we're not content uh, with what God has provided. And so I ask you, what are those possessions in your life? I know that I have things in my life that, that, that I desire more than God at times. So what are, what are the things in your life that you desire more than God at times? What are the things that, are, that you idolize and, and put over God at times? It could be your home, cars, technology, your home decor, uh, your video games. I know we got some students in here, your video games, uh, clothes. Maybe you collect items, some collectible item. What are, what are the things in your life that, that you treasure more than God that you would say, I wouldn't be willing to give this up for God if he called me to? What are the things that you value more than God? Another way that selfish gain can manifest itself is through the love of money as well. I think this is a, another major thing that we struggle with in, in a country like America, the love of money. I want to look at Luke chapter 18, 18 through 25, so you can just flip over a couple of pages. Luke 18, 18 through 25. We're going to look at the rich young ruler here. You can follow along in your, in your Bible. Verse 18. And a ruler asked him, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, Why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments. Do not commit adultery. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And he said, All these I have kept from my youth. When Jesus heard this, he said to him, One thing you still lack. Sell all that you have and distribute to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. But when he heard these things, he became very sad, for he was extremely rich. Jesus, seeing that he had become sad, said, how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. For it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich fool to enter the kingdom of God. In this story, Jesus knew the rich, man, rich man's heart. He knew that his love for money was, was greater than his love for him. He, he knew that he desired to have more and more money than he desired to have God himself. He had great wealth. He didn't want to give it up. He didn't want to sell it all and follow Jesus. He wouldn't give that up to follow Christ. And Jesus told him, go sell all that you have and give it to the poor, and then come follow me. Because that is what is in between you and me right now. He didn't want to give up his riches to follow God. 
1 Timothy 6, 9 and 10 says, But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evils in our lives. And many people will leave the faith because of their love for money as well. The desire for riches also prevents many people from coming to faith in Christ. As you look at the parable of the sower, Matthew 13, 22, it says, As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and proves unfruitful. And so these, he's, Jesus is explaining the parable of the sower here, and he, and he talks about how all the seeds were sown all over the, all over the field, and that some of the seeds would get choked up by these thorns, prevent them from growing and, and producing gospel fruit, because the deceitfulness of the riches of the world prevented that seed from growing. And so this is a very dangerous thing. The deceitfulness of riches will prevent people from growing and, and coming to faith in Christ. Proverbs 8, 10, and 11 says, Take my instruction instead of silver, and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels, and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Psalm 119, verse 72, The law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. We could go on and on and on about passages that talk about the love of money and the dangers of that. And specifically in Proverbs 8 and Psalm 119, it is clearly laid out that wisdom and knowledge of God's word are infinitely more valuable than any type of money that we could ever get. All the money in the world, that God's knowledge and wisdom is far, far, far greater than money. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and to lose his soul? What does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? True riches are found in God and nothing else. God alone. And so what might this practically look like to love riches, to love money? I think the desire uh, to, to be rich in general, the desire to have a whole lot, whole lot of money, to set our minds constantly on worldly riches, to do anything lawful or unlawful to gain money, anything we can to, to earn money, not using our riches for other people, or perhaps not even using our money on ourselves. We just want to continue to maybe increase that bank account more and more and more. And we don't even, we don't give. We don't want to help others in need. We don't want to use the money even for our own selves. Ultimately, it's the love of money more so than God. The love of riches more so than God, like the rich young ruler that we just read about. So do any of these describe you? Do any of these um, symptoms of the love of riches describe you? If I'm honest, then I struggle with these myself. It's a battle uh, to trust God for provision. It's a battle to trust God and what he's provided for you, to be content with that. And so I'm sure that there are many of you in this room as well that struggle with this same thing as well. Because money, it, it, it provides power. It provides us with the ability to, to do a lot of the things that we want to do. But it's just that. It's a currency that we use in this world that we're here today in order to, to obtain the things that we need and, and many of the things that we want as well. But that's it. That's it. That's, that's where it ends. As Christians, we know that, there is, there, that one day we will stand before our maker and that we will be in his presence forever. And that is the greatest treasure that there is, to be in a relationship with God, to be able to worship him with our everything for the rest of eternity. And so there is something far greater than this, just the riches of this world. 
And so we have to remind ourselves, I have to remind myself day in and day out, multiple times throughout the day, that there's something far greater. There's something far greater than any of the riches that, that we could get in this world. The love of money hinders our ability to experience the boundless love of God. The love of money hinders our ability to experience the boundless love of God. And trust me, experiencing the boundless love of God is far, far greater than the fleeting value of money. So God calls his followers to live in accordance with him, with his will, instead of living for selfish gain, instead of living for the love of possessions and the love of money. Christians are called to be content with what God has provided and trusting him And that is something that is hard to do. And we need to remind ourselves of that. We need people to encourage us in that and challenge us in that as well. The love of money, of possessions and money ultimately hinders our ability to to experience the true uh, and ultimate joy found in God alone. And so may our prayer as a congregation be, God, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to selfish gain. The second competing desire against the word is worthless things found in verse 37. Verse 37, it says, Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Turn my eyes from looking at worthless things and give me life in your ways. Worthless things could be idols. Uh, Another word would be vanity, things that ultimately don't matter. These lies or deception, all of these describe these worthless things. This would include the possessions and the money that we talked about uh, just, just now, but it also is a little bit more broad. Uh, it talks about any, any type of idol that could uh, prevent us from beholding God as our greatest treasure. And ultimately, we know that all things are worthless in comparison to God. Now, that doesn't mean that nothing matters in this world. Things do matter, but in comparison to the king of the universe, then the things of this world are worthless, few examples, uh, maybe some idols, be sports, entertainment, um, job, your job, travel, wanting to travel the world, popularity, possessions, money, your kids' success, academic su- success, being liked and approved by other things. You could go on and on and on about the things that could be idols, the things that are worthless in comparison to God. And so what are the things in your life that, that, that God has um, revealing to you that are, these are worthless things in comparison to pursuing me. Now, how, how might we fight this? How might we fight the desire to love worthless things? Because our natural tendency as sinful human beings is to, to pursue these things, to love these things. And we need the power of God to transform us. In verse 37, it begins with, "'Turn my eyes.'" This is, a, this is a cry to God. God, turn my eyes. I need you. I need you to work in my life to turn my eyes from worthless things. So we need to depend on God's grace. We need to cry out to God. God, turn my eyes from these things. They're worthless comparison to you. And ask God, work in my life. Help me to see that the greatest treasure is you. And we need a community of other people around us praying those things for us as well. I love this quote from Charles Bridges. It says, What will most effectually turn my eyes from vanity? So what will, what will turn my eyes from these worthless things? Not the seclusion of contemplative retirement. Not the relinquishment of our lawful connection with the world. But the transcendent beauty of Jesus unveiled to our eyes and fixing our hearts. In other words, beholding the beauty of Christ. As we see how beautiful, how glorious, how great our God is, then it leads us to say, I don't want those worthless things. Look at this amazing thing that of infinite value that I have in Christ. And so we must delight in the word in order for us to, to fight this. We delight in this word. We delight in the scriptures so that we would see how great and majestic our God is. And that will help us to not settle for the worthless things of this world. So again, the word's eternal value is shown in these two competing desires, but the word also reveals our sin 
in, in the way that we can be made righteous. The, the word reveals our sinfulness, but it also reveals the way that we can be made righteous. In verse 39, we, we see that disobeying God's word, it leads to judgment. Disobeying the word leads to judgment. Our God is holy. He's set apart from us. He's perfect in all of his ways. And if we measure up ourselves to his standard, we, we fall way, way short because of our sinfulness. And because of God's holiness, he must punish our sin. He must punish the sin that we commit against him. And so disobeying God leads to judgment and eternal separation from God forever. In verse 40, we also see the hope that God's righteousness helps us. It helps us to see our unrighteousness. So we see how righteous God is. It helps us to see that, but then it also helps us to see that we can be made righteous by God. In verse 40, it says, Behold, I long for your precepts. In your righteousness, give me life. And so when we receive uh, God's righteousness, that is when we receive God's life. And we know in 2 Corinthians 5, when Paul talks about this, we, we can receive God's righteousness, Christ's righteousness, by placing faith in him, and we can be seen as spotless, pure before God. How amazing is that? And that Jesus takes our sin. He takes on our sin, and we get his righteousness. What a sweet exchange that is for us. And so we can be made righteous by Jesus' righteousness um, that, that when we trust in him and what he did on the cross for us. And so if you're here this morning and you have never believed in Christ, you've never uh, received his righteousness by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, then I urge you to repent this morning. Repent of your sin and believe in Christ because he is the only way. He's the only way to be saved from your sin. And so I ask you to consider the people, the possessions, or the sins that may prevent you from trusting in Jesus for salvation. So if you're here this morning, what are the things in your life that are preventing you from uh, placing your faith in Jesus Christ for salvation? What are the barriers that are preventing you? I, I would encourage you to identify those things. What are, the, what are the, the delights of this world, the worthless things in this world that draw you away from God and, and, and cause you to continue to live in rebellion against God? Ask God to remove those barriers in your life and to, to give you faith to trust in him for salvation. So I urge you to respond to the gospel this morning. See your sinfulness and see that there's hope that you can receive Jesus' righteousness by trusting in him. And I want to return back to what I said at the beginning. I want to remind you that, and I hope that throughout this sermon you've seen, that that following God, it doesn't hinder your joy. On the surface, it may look like that, and it will be hard to follow Christ. But ultimately, following Christ will bring about the greatest joy imaginable that you could have. Because that is following the way, uh, that, the, the way that God intended for you to live your life, to worship him and to live in obedience to him. And so I hope and pray that you've seen that throughout the sermon. And I, I would humbly ask you to, to, to ask God to reveal what, what's preventing you from coming to faith and to get, for God to give you the faith to trust in him. Second application point that we have this morning is uh, to consider how you need to grow in the knowledge of and obedience to the word. So believers here, how, how do you need to grow in the knowledge of the word? How do you need to grow in obedience to the word? Perhaps you're more inclined to one or the other. Perhaps you're really high up on getting a whole bunch of head knowledge and, and, and really lacking in obedience to the word. How, how is God leading you to, to swing the pendulum back the other direction to where you need to actually apply what the scriptures are saying in your life? And perhaps some of you may say, well, I don't really need to grow in knowledge. I just need to love Jesus. And, and, and that's, that's true. We need to love Jesus. And we, need to, we need to obey him. But we also need to continue to seek to grow. As we see in this, this psalm, it starts out, teach me your statutes. We need to continue to, to uh, that lifelong process of learning and growing. So we, we should delight in the word. We should delight in the word, learn the word, obey the word. And as we delight in the word, we can grow in our knowledge of the word and, and grow in our obedience to the word. And so are you delighting in God's word? Are you reading the scriptures and delighting in God as you do that? Are you being faithful to, to read the scriptures and to also live out what the scriptures say? 
what areas in, in this way do you need to grow in your life? How do you need to grow in the knowledge of God and in obedience to God? Number three, consider the worthless things and or desires of selfish gain in your life, hindering you from experiencing full joy in God. Is it money, possessions, uh, some other idol in your life that are preventing you from experiencing the full joy that, that God wants you to experience in him? What are the competing desires in your life that, that are leading you away from enjoying God? Meditate on the fact that our God is eternal and that he is going to give us the greatest amount of joy possible. Remind yourself of that day in and day out. And ask brothers and sisters to encourage you with that and to remind you that and pray that for you because we need that reminder each and every day. I mean, multiple times throughout the day at that. So what are the worthless things, what are the selfish desires for selfish gain in your life that are preventing you from, uh, from living and experiencing the full joy that you have in God? Number four, depend on the Spirit to open up your eyes to teach you and to empower you to obey and experience the full joy of God. It is clear throughout these verses that there is a clear dependence on God uh, to help us to learn, to help us to understand, to help us to obey, to help us to delight, to help us to realize the eternal value of the word, we need God to work in our lives. We need God's grace to learn and to understand and obey the word. We need God to stir our affections for him so that we would delight in him. We need God to open up our eyes to the eternal value of the word. We need God to do that. So we need to pray and ask God to do that in our lives. So depend on the Spirit to open up your eyes and to help you to obey the Scriptures. Following Jesus in this world and living in obedience to Him, it is, it is not a burden. Obedience to the Word will not decrease our joy. Rather, it will multiply it ten times fold. It is certainly not an easy road to follow Christ. We know that it is the narrow path in Matthew chapter 6 or 7. But it brings about the greatest amount of joy. It is not an easy thing, but it, it brings the greatest joy because we get God himself. And so if you do not have a relationship with Christ this morning, I urge you and I invite you to come and enjoy God with these other brothers and sisters that are here. Come into a relationship with him. Repent of your sin and trust in him for salvation. If you're already here, if you're here and you're, you already know Christ is your Savior, then press in day in and day out to remember that true joy is found in learning and living out God's word. Would you please pray with me?